Lord, we come to you once again this morning and we ask, God, in spite of a goofy and foolish preacher, Lord, Father, would you speak to us through the power of your word? God, this is the book for us. Spirit, would you move through the reading, through the teaching, through the proclamation of your holy word, that you orchestrated its construction over generations and that you have preserved it for us for thousands of years. Lord, thank you for your word and for the truth that is found in it. Lord, you teach us in your word that you are able to convict, you are able to motivate, to challenge, to encourage. Father, all of these things through your word. And I pray that you would do those things this morning. You would comfort those of us who need comfort. Challenge those of us who need to be challenged. God, motivate those of us who have become lazy and apathetic. God, draw our attention to you and you alone. May you increase, Lord, as I decrease. And our whole focus be on you in the moments to come. We love you, Father. We ask all these things in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Well, folks, we are still in Exodus 14. So if you have your Bible, you can go ahead and take it and be turning there. Your Bible should start to fall pretty naturally to that position in your uh, in your passing through pages right now. I, I will remind you, we did have a little hiccup with the screens on the front end of the 8 o'clock service and between services. So you may want to think about taking out a, an actual book. And if you want to do that and you don't even have one with you, there are some in the back of the pew that is in front of you. You can borrow one of those or you can take one home with you as our gift to you. We will replenish it if you don't have your own copy of God's Word. Before we turn our attention to Exodus 14, I would like for us to look through some of the things that we've already seen in this chapter so that when we read through it, it'll bring those things to our minds. And so we began in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 14, kind of following some of the principles applied by Robert J. Morgan's book, The Red Sea Rules. And some of those are still probably available out in the little area where you can sign up for the prayer wall. But he, he points out that God means for us to be where we are. God has us where we are on purpose and for a purpose. We see that God brought the Israelites where he wanted them and told them even where to face. So God puts us where he wants us to be. We need to be concerned more with God's glory than with our own wealth or success or relief or convenience or comfort. Because as we look through chapter 14, even keep your ears open to it as we read, God is very concerned with his glory in this chapter. And so when we read, we understand if God is concerned with his glory, we should be concerned with glorifying God, more so than we are with being wealthy, successful, prosperous, or not having pain or agony or heartache. We also need to acknowledge that we have an enemy in this world. The Israelites focused on their enemy, the Egyptians. Our focus should stay on the Lord while we acknowledge there is an enemy in hot pursuit after us. But we have no need to fear of that enemy because the Lord has already defeated him and will ultimately defeat him by just the breath of his mouth. Then we read in verse 10 how the Israelites cried out to the Lord. They feared and then cried out to the Lord. So we talked about prayers, spontaneous prayers, systematic prayers. We are people of 
prayer. That's part of the reason we have the prayer wall, so that we have opportunities to schedule and set aside and say, we will pray, we will make it happen. And we notice that the Israelites immediately rail against Moses after they pray, right? They cry out to the Lord and then they scream at Moses, what are you doing, man? They give the Lord no time to work. So in our lives, we have to be calm, have to be confident and give the Lord time to work in whatever situation. Moses tells the people, be silent and still. All you have to do is watch because God will deliver you. And then when we've sat silently before the Lord and we don't know what to do, we take the next step by faith. Verse 15, Moses says, what you got? God says to Moses, what are you crying to me for? Go forward. Tell the people to move forward. Then we envision God's presence around us. Even when we pray, setting out a chair for the Lord because he's already there. We're not imagining something. We're not putting out a place for our imaginary friend. God is with us. And it helps us to visualize and know that his presence is with us the same way it was lighting the path for the Israelites as they walked through the midst of the Red Sea. So this morning, I want us to get to the the climax of the passage, the, the verses 21 and 22 that we've all been looking forward to this entire time where the sea actually splits. And I want us to remember that no matter what is going on in our lives, in our world, we can trust God to Always deliver, always deliver in his own unique way. So with those thoughts in mind, let's turn our attention to the most important thing that we will do during this time, and that is read the word of the Lord. So if you have your Bible, please make your way to Exodus 14 if you have not already. As you are finding your way to Exodus 14, I would invite that if you are physically able, would you please stand out of reverence for the public reading of God's holy word. I will read verses 1 through 31 for us. When I complete the reading, I'll say this is the word of the Lord. I encourage you to respond with a hearty thanks be to God. Let's turn our attention now to Exodus 14, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of Pi-Haharoth, between Migdal and the sea, in front of Baal-Zephon. You shall encamp facing it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the people of Israel, they are wandering in the land. The wilderness has shut them in and I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will pursue them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so when the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled. The mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed toward the people. And they said, what is this that we have done that we have let Israel go from serving us? So. He made ready his chariot and took his army with him and took 600 chosen chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the people of Israel while the people of Israel were going out defiantly. The Egyptians pursued them, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his army and overtook them, encamped at the sea by Pi-Haharoth in front of Baal-Zephon. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you've taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is this not what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die here in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, fear not, stand 
firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You have only to be silent. The Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward, lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. That the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they shall go in after them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, his chariots and his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. Then the angel of God who was going before the host of Israel moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was the cloud and the darkness. And it lit up the night without one coming near the other all night. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. The Egyptians pursued and went in after them into the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots and his horsemen. And in the morning watch, the Lord in the pillar of fire and of cloud looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into a panic clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, Let us flee from before Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea, that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots and upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. And as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen of all the host of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea. Not one of them remained. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea. The waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day. From the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord. And they believed in the Lord and in his servant, Moses. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Well, folks, here it is, verses 21 and 22, the most climactic moment in the story. The Spirit of the Lord in the cloud has already moved. The angel of God, his messenger, is standing between Egypt and Israel. And so now they realize they're defended. And yet they look to Moses. And God says to Moses, I want you to raise your staff, lift your hand up over the water, and God is going to split the sea. Now you might ask, why did God ask Moses to raise his hand and lift his staff up over the sea? Because the Lord wanted there to be absolutely no doubt, absolutely no chance of it being a coincidence or trying to explain away some sort of natural phenomenon where this strange wind came up and it happens to do this every so often and it comes through at this exact moment and dries up the ground. No. 
There's no way to make that argument because the very moment, immediately, instantaneously, when Moses raises his staff, the wind begins to drive back the sea. And the way that the Hebrew talks about driving back the sea, it's talking about a wedge being shoved into the water. So I want you to think about this strong east wind as like an axe. And God himself is wedging this axe in between the water. And so as the wind pounds and blows, God is just chopping away at the sea and making dry ground in front of them. And the path opens up step at a time as they walk through. And God continues to drive back the waters with his wind. This is miraculous. This is a miracle by every measure, by every standard. There's no denying it. You know, I, I feel like there's been a time in my life where I, I felt that I knew what this might have looked like or I experienced something similar to it about how this wind drove the water back because there was a time when we were living in Birmingham, we had a basement, okay? And in the basement, that's where we parked the car. So I was getting the groceries out of the car. And if any of you have ever purchased milk, you know that a gallon of milk is, is pretty heavy. And the little bags that they use these days, if you can call them bags, they're just little thin pieces of plastic. And I beg them to double bag it. You know, these days you got to double bag it yourself. Nobody's typically there to actually bag the groceries. So you can double bag it and know with confidence. But this was my first time as a young married man to unload the groceries and have a single bag with a gallon of milk. And I pulled it out of the car and there it went. Woo! All across the floor. And y'all, I'm talking about this gallon jug disintegrated. There was nothing left of it. There's not a drop of milk in the jug. Gallon of milk all across the slab floor of the basement. So I think, ha this is, this is okay. No use crying over spilt milk, right? Here we go. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get the hose and I'm going to bring it into the basement, and I'm going to spray all the milk out, and then it won't be sticky, and I cleaned it up, and I didn't even get a towel dirty, and even got to do no extra laundry. Look at me. My wife's going to be so proud. Well, you know what happens after you spray all the milk out, right? you got a huge puddle of water left in your basement because you just sprayed a bunch of milk out with the hose, and the hose is still running, and there's all this water. So I, I got water caked up in my basement about like this, and I think, what can I do? And my, my neighbor, who's a wonderful neighbor, all right, he was a lawn care guy. So he had these really nice blowers, and he had just bought him a new one, and, and he just gifted his old one to me. And it might be an old one to him, but, y'all, it's like the backpack superpower hurricane. Whoa! I mean, it's a blower. You know what I'm talking about? Like, we're talking 200-some-odd miles an hour. And so I thought, I'll blow the water out of the basement. And I'm telling you, I felt like Moses. This is the silliest thing, I know. But I pulled that blower on my back, got it cranked up, and I said, and the water just parted before me and made its way out of the basement. But sometimes I think we like to just pretend that the water like evaporated, you know. But no, like wind came out of nowhere and blew the water back, wedged itself in between it. And then as it goes back, the ground is dry. And when you blow that water out of your basement, I mean, there's like this, this thin layer of moisture that's still there, but it's mostly dry. But I'm talking when God uses his wind this east wind there's it's like solid ground nothing of the carts or the chariots or the or the horses or even the feet their feet don't even get muddy walking through the middle of a sea and the the psalms tell us that the wall on the left hand and on the right congealed it's like the lord turned it into jello and they're looking and maybe somebody pokes at it you know and it like whoa and you can see the fish on the other side god forms a wall and allows them to walk 
And he does it in such a way that it is an obvious, overt miracle. There's no way around it. And sometimes, folks, we get so caught up in this big, enormous miracle that we forget that God doesn't typically do big, enormous, split-the-red-sea miracles. If you think about it, as we go through the entire Bible, there are periods of time where God does huge, overt, obvious miracles in our lives and in our world. We think about the time in the Exodus with Moses and all these plagues and all that the Lord did here. You may think of the time of Elijah and Elisha with all of the big miracles that they did, that God did through them. You may think of the time when Jesus was here walking among us or shortly after Jesus was raised from the dead when the apostles were doing incredible miracles. God was moving through them. There are places where it says they took even Paul and Peter's handkerchief Like after he had sneezed in it and they went and throw it on people and they got better. Their shadow would fall on folks who were lame and they would stand up and walk because the Spirit was moving through them in such a powerful way. And I I think sometimes we get so distracted by looking for that enormous Red Sea splitting miracle that we forget God's doing miracles of different types among us all day, every day, everywhere we look. There's... There's obvious, big, overt miracles. Those are sparing. Those are not all the time. You you may not see those all the time. Then there's kind of these covert, undercover, subliminal almost, subconscious, under-the-radar, covert miracles that happen. And oftentimes those are the kind of miracles that take place on a daily basis. And unless we stop and think back, we may go, well, that probably wasn't even a miracle at all. But when we stop and think about it, there's no way that this could have happened or that could have intersected. There's no such thing as a coincidence. There's no such thing as something that's a fluke that just happened to have happened. God is at work in all of those things. And there are miracles going on around us every single day that we need to be paying attention to. And microphones that pop and crack and technology that hates us, but it's all good. So then the third type of miracle that we sometimes miss is the mysterious miracle. Those miracles that we got to really scratch our head to even figure out that it is a miracle, or God's working in some way that is a miracle, but we don't recognize that miracle. So I just want to talk about some of these miracles and some of these categories so that we don't miss what God's doing in our lives because we're always looking for the Red Sea to part when God might have fed the 5,000. Think about when Jesus feeds the 5,000. This is an under-the-radar kind of a miracle, right? Everybody remembers it, but they didn't realize the miracle was happening until long after the fact. They give Jesus some bread and some fish. Jesus blesses it and starts handing it out. And before you know it, 5,000 men plus women plus children all have enough to eat till they're all full and there's 12 baskets left over. And until they're picking up the leftover baskets, they probably don't even realize that the food has multiplied. Folks, this is, this is what God does in our lives every single day. There are little, small miracles where God is providing, and it's under the radar, but we don't pay it enough attention. Folks, I've been on mission trips where the same thing as the feeding of the 5,000 happened. This is firsthand experience that we went to Guatemala when I was at Westmont. We went to Guatemala, and while we were there, we had bracelets that could tell that you could walk through the gospel with. And everybody on our team had trained how to speak in Spanish and share the gospel using that bracelet. 
And so we had about 400 bracelets. And then we went to a school where there were about 600 kids. We knew exactly how many bracelets we had, and we knew we would be 200 shy, and every kid got a bracelet. And we had no idea that that had happened until we got back to our hotel, started counting, started talking about, well, how many kids were there? That's when we figured out that there were 600 kids. That's when we figured out that 600 kids registered and then came to the next station to get a bracelet, and they all had a bracelet. Every time we reached back in there, so that every time at the next station, the gospel was shared with that child. I've been to Guadalajara, and while we were at Guadalajara, we did these little backyard Bible clubs. And while we were doing these backyard Bible clubs, we would make them peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. Well, the first couple of days, there wasn't a whole lot of traction, so we didn't make a whole lot of sandwiches for the third day. But between day two and day three, all the kids went and told all their pals, hey, there's free food, there's some juice, these guys will play games with you, and then they teach you some stuff about Jesus. But this is a fun time, you ought to come. Well, we had twice the number of kids that we had expected at that little park. And nobody realized because everybody going to the cooler was a different person. But we never ran out of sandwiches. Folks, I'm not making stuff up. This is firsthand. I was there. I saw it happen. But it's not, God has split the Red Sea. It's, hey, everybody had enough. God provided. There are under-the-radar miracles that happen in our lives every single day. Then there's the huge overt miracles where God is doing what he does in Exodus. In our passage this morning where he says, Israel will be saved so that Egypt will know. I will split the Red Sea. I will bring plagues so that the Egyptians may know. This wonderful lady from Uganda came to our seminary when I was in Beeson to share with us as she was fundraising. And she was telling us about how her husband abandoned her on the mission field. While they were serving, they lived in this little trailer. And so some terrorists were tired of them sharing the gospel, and they were tired of how the Lord was working through them and what effect it was having on the people in a positive way because they liked having those people under their thumb. So they went in the middle of the night, and they grabbed those people, and they drug them out of that trailer and threw them underneath a tree and had AK-47s aimed at their heads. And so the husband and wife are there bowed and knelt down, And they pray and cry out to the Lord, and these guys unload every bullet that they have on this couple. Every single bullet until it click, 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 click. There's nothing left. Nothing left. Not a bullet touched them from point blank range. It was so scary that the husband said, I'm I'm, I'm, I'm done. I'm going home. This is it. We can't do this anymore. And she said, no, 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 don't you understand? We have to stay now. God is protecting us. God is here on a purpose for a reason. Don't you realize we've got to be here? And she was without her husband for the rest of her time there. I heard that story from her mouth, from a very notable, reliable woman filled with the Spirit of the Lord. These are not made-up stories that are second-hand, third-hand information. This is what happened. Billy Barnes, find him. He was in the 8 o'clock service. Find him through this week. Ask him about when he broke his arm in Ecuador. And he came back with the x-rays that showed his arm broken. And then he went to the hospital here. They did more x-rays. And they said, sir, I'm sorry, your arm's not broken. Folks, God works miracles among us. And sometimes they're huge and they're obvious But sometimes they're under the radar, and if you don't think about them or stop and realize it, you may run right past them. Because our God is still in the miracle business, but it's just not always a big Red Sea moment. 
And folks, we like to try and just, ah, that, ah. Billy's arm probably wasn't really broken. Y'all probably had more sandwiches than you realized. You probably had more bracelets than you knew. That woman probably didn't realize they were just trying to scare her and they had put blanks in the gun. No, none of those things are true. All of the things happen the way I'm telling you that they happen. But in our minds, the phenomenal, the, the majestic, the wonderful things of God, they don't seem real to us. So, so we like to try and explain it away. Now, I'm not saying that God does a miracle in your life every day and that you need to be looking for it and go crazy looking for it, but we've got to recognize what God is doing. And sometimes it's big and sometimes it's just simple and consistent, almost subliminal. Every accident is God at work in our lives. Every single coincidence is God at work in our lives. Folks, sometimes God's working miracles and we don't even realize I don't know about you, but when I get behind somebody who drives the speed limit, okay, I can't handle it. I'm sorry. This is me. This confession time. I drive five to ten miles over the speed limit pretty much everywhere I go, and that's like, you know, being gracious to myself, okay? That's me. That's the, Look, this is transparency, all right? I love you guys. I'm a sinner. That's what I do. So when I get behind somebody driving the speed limit, mm, <laughs> Lord Jesus, they're being good, lawful citizens. And I don't mean it one bit, but I go, thank you, Lord, because there's probably a wreck that's about to happen up there that if I was driving, I would be in that wreck. Lord, there's probably something going on that you're saving me from whatever's going on. And when I say those things, I don't believe them in my heart. I say them so that maybe I will believe them as I continue to ride right on the bumper of whoever is going the speed limit praying that God will move them out of my way at the same time. But folks, even in that, in stuff that simple, my bad, Lottie, I'm sorry. I got too loud. That's on me. That's on me. Even in the simple, seeming mundane things, God is at work. But the category we have the most trouble with is not this category where it's, it's amazing. It's hard to believe it's so amazing. Whether it's obvious or whether it's under the radar, we can usually come around to go, yeah, God's, God's miraculous. He's, he's doing a good work. We love a good story about a young boy who's had an ATV wreck and his head's bashed in and his pelvis is crushed and they fly him to a hospital and when they get to the hospital, his head's where it's supposed to be. He's only got some bruises and he walks out of the hospital two weeks later just fine. We love those stories. But what we often overlook is the mysterious way in which God will often deliver us. You see, God promises He will deliver us. The deliverance is guaranteed, but the method of deliverance is always debated in our lives. The obvious miracles we love, the -the under-the-radar miracles we may miss, the mysterious miracles He's still delivering, but we may not even realize how He is delivering. But folks... Romans 8, 28, it becomes cliche to us, but it never stops being true. All things work for good for those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. So this morning, if you love the Lord and you are called according to his purpose, all things work for good. All things will work for good for those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. Whether the miracle is obvious, whether it's kind of under the radar, or whether it's completely mysterious and makes no sense, you can trust God is still going to deliver and that it's working for good. 
I, I can see by some of your faces that you don't necessarily, you're not tracking with me. I, I got it, okay? But let's look at some verses that guarantee how the Lord delivers. Some of these verses we've read in previous sermons, but I, I want you to hear them again. Look with me at Psalm 34. Psalm 34, it's a promise and a guarantee from God. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers. He hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of them all. Job chapter 5, behold, blessed is the one whom God reproves. Therefore, despise not the discipline of the Almighty, for he wounds, but he binds up. He shatters, but his hands heal. He will deliver you from six troubles. In seven, no evil shall touch you. Second Peter chapter 2, verse 9. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. The Lord knows how to rescue the godly. Psalm 50 verse 15, and call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you. I will deliver you, says the Lord, and you shall glorify me. Galatians chapter 1 verses 3 and 4, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father. Jesus even came to deliver us from the present evil age. And folks, what we forget sometimes is that God's miracle is that we can spend eternity in paradise with Him. That means forever. That is a miracle. So when somebody dies who believes in the Lord, they've been delivered, even though we don't like to think about it that way. They were destined for separation in a fire burning for all eternity for a wrath that we all deserve. But because of Jesus, there's a miracle that takes place and we can be in the very presence of God, the father, God, the son and God, the spirit face to face with our creator. And that is a miracle. Sometimes God is delivering and working miracles in mysterious ways that we just write off. We think, oh, well, they lost their battle with cancer. God must not have worked a miracle. No, God did work a miracle. Legitimately, truly, He worked a miracle. Well, they, they lost their battle with dementia and Alzheimer's. No, God did work a miracle. Folks, God will deliver His children. Listen to what Jesus says in John thirteen seven. Jesus answered him, What I'm doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. There is coming a time when we will understand. But in the meantime, God may be delivering us individually, collectively as a church, collectively as a county, collectively as a state, collectively as a nation, through means that are unknown and perplexing and dumbfounding and baffling and confusing and upsetting and frustrating to all of us. But God is at work doing a miracle. We just don't see it. We see ruin and disaster and God's hand has left us. But folks, God is at work. Look at the hall of fame of faith of how God worked in all the lives of those who came before us. Hebrews chapter 11. God is working in overt 
covert and mysterious ways. In Abel, there's a miracle that takes place that Abel's, Abel's offering was accepted. Enoch got to walk with the Lord until he just walked on home. Noah was able to build an ark and be delivered. Abraham was able to have a kid. Sarah, who should have been in menopause, had a baby. Isaac found a wife. Jacob was able to reconcile with his brother. Joseph, man, if that's not a mysterious miracle, I don't know what is. God says, Joseph, I'm going to save the world through you. Gives Joseph a dream of everybody bowing down to him. And he goes, oh, the Lord's going to save the world through me. And God performs this miracle by Joseph being thrown into a well and getting sold into slavery. And then when Joseph thinks, oh, man, the Lord has just forsaken me, he gets sold, he gets sold out of slavery and put in jail And so now he's gone from slavery to jail, still remembering that dream. God, this is supposed to be a miracle, right? Until he is risen up to serve as the second in command under Pharaoh. And all the world is preserved because God interprets a dream through Joseph and there's food for everybody. God was working a miracle and the miracle started by Joseph being sold into slavery. Joseph being sold into slavery is a miracle. Let's think on that for a minute. Let it roll around in your head. Hebrews 11 Starts off and recaps what even we're talking about this morning. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land. But the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they'd been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab, the prostitute, did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. But then here we take a turn. All of those are listed as miraculous things that God did. But God is in the same category. He hasn't shifted, but we feel like he shifts. In the middle of verse 35, some women received back their dead by resurrection. Well, that was miraculous. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release. That must not have been miraculous, right? No. God is working even through some being tortured, refusing to accept release, so that they might rise again to a better life. That's the miracle. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom this world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. Hebrews 11 is telling us about miracles. And in the midst of telling us about miracles, it lists all those who have suffered for God. Those are mysterious miracles. Folks, sometimes God delivers and it looks like utter destruction. But we're so busy looking for the Red Sea to part, we miss that God's at work among us. I just want to close out with one story that a, friend, a pastor friend of mine from First Baptist Andalusia, Kevin Wilburn, you all may, may know him, may have heard of him, all right? He shared a story that I just love. It's become right up there with me in the story about the guy who uh, drowns and three boats come. You know, we've, we've said it like three times in the sermon series. This story is up there with that story. A man gets stranded on a desert island, deserted island. Nobody else there, uninhabited. Takes him a year to build up this, fort, this, this shelter, this fort for him to live in, okay? Every day he's, he's praying, God, rescue me. God, rescue me. God, rescue me. And then one day he goes out after years of praying. 
He goes out to get food like he always does. Leaves his fire going in front of his hut like he always does. The fire gets out of control, burns the hut down. When he comes back with his food, the hut is engulfed in flames. Smoke is billowing up into the air. And he hits his knees and says, God, why? I've been praying for rescue and I've been living here in this uninhabited place and you've cursed me and this is awful. Now, instead of rescuing me, you burned down my hut. It took me a year to build it, Lord. What am I supposed to do? Just sleep out on the sand again? The next morning, a boat showed up. Man gets on the boat. How did you guys ever see me? Well, we saw your smoke signal, all the smoke billowing up into the air, and we happened to be passing by at that time. Folks, sometimes utter destruction is actually the beginning of God's mysterious miracle in our lives. But we're too busy being mad at God and frustrated about our situations and looking for the Red Sea to part that we miss God's miraculous work around us. Folks, if you trust in Jesus, everything, everything works for God's glory and your good. But this morning, if you don't trust in Jesus, I can't say that that verse applies to you. All things work together for the good of those who love the Lord and are called according to His purpose. His Overt, covert, and mysterious miracles are always at work for those who love Him. But I I can't say that that's true if you don't love Him. This morning, don't leave this place without deciding, I want to love and trust Jesus. Don't leave this place missing the work that God is doing right here, right now, in your very heart. Maybe you already trust in Jesus, but... You're in the midst of one of those really mysterious miracles. Or something has happened and there is no way in your mind that God could redeem it. I promise you God will deliver. His word says it over and over and over again. Have faith in God. He's on His throne. Have faith in God. He watches for His own. He cannot fail. He will prevail. Have faith in God. Have faith in God. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you are at work. Sometimes it's obvious like the Red Sea. Sometimes it's under the radar like the feeding of the 5,000. Sometimes it's mysterious. And we don't even realize that the tragedy that has befallen us is the beginning of our deliverance. Lord, would you help us to trust in you and have faith like those in Hebrews chapter 11 had faith. Even in the face of adversity, even in the face of tragedy and despair. Help us, Lord. Cause us to have faith in you. Lord, open our eyes and soften our hearts to see where you are at work among us. Lord, help us not only to see the big obvious miracles, but the ones that go under the radar. Lord, help us to have understanding even for the ones that are mysterious. And Father, if there is anybody here who does not love you and cannot say that all of these miracles are working for their deliverance because they're not in that category of those who love you, Lord, change their heart this morning. Draw them unto yourself that they might experience the joy of knowing that our God saves. Our God delivers. He will not fail. And He will prevail. 
Will you prevail over our hearts this morning? We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, to you, God, our Father in heaven.